So we've got the great privilege of having Rodney and Kim and Josiah Burton with us this morning. They are, they are products of the Brownsville Revival. They went through that school, that college there. They have pastored. They have evangelized. He's an author. He's just an all-around good guy. So would you make welcome this morning, Rodney Burton, as he comes to minister to us. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. I told him, I said, I'm not sure I can live up to that introduction, so I'll go ahead and just close in prayer. <laughs> it is such an honor to be with you this morning in Cape, my wife Kim and our son Josiah. We've been traveling full time now since January of 2016. And we've seen a lot of interesting things. You learn a lot about your walk with Jesus when you drive the roads of America. Because not everybody drives in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Some people drive in other spirits. And so, but it has been an interesting journey for us and our family. And we've been able to minister outside of the U.S. a few times as well. And um, Josiah and myself, Kim hasn't decided yet, but we're going to be going back to England in, in February for some more ministry. And so God has just really been gracious to our family and given us opportunity to travel and to minister. And he has opened doors that we never would have imagined. And um, he's just been, been good. How many of you know he's faithful? In everything, through everything. Anybody besides me can testify that he sometimes is even faithful in spite of us. And so, but it's just such an honor to be with you this morning. And um, we do not take it lightly any chance we're given to come and to share our hearts. And we're simple folks, so thank you for welcoming us. And, and we are very honored and humbled by this. And so we do, Pastor mentioned that I, I've done a little bit of writing. We have one of our books with us. Um, I've done about 12 or 13, I think, but we only have one with us presently. It's on the table out in the, in the foyer there. Um, someone told me before service that um, they asked if the book came with a sledgehammer. I said it did not, but, but it's called Unless You Repent. And um, in some circles, you use the word repentance. People think you're using profanity. But it's not. Repentance is a gift to the believer. It's our gift that God has given to us that we can stay in, in right relationship with him and, and, and walking in that. Um, I, there are times God will speak something to me, and I wish he was talking to somebody else. But in that moment, I have a responsibility and a choice. I can continue on in what I believe is right, or I can submit my will and give everything to him and to repent and surrender that. And there are moments it's easier than others. How many of you would much prefer to repent for someone else? Like, Lord, I can tell you everything that's wrong with my brother. <laughs> but I'm okay. But, but that's not what God's called us to do. So that's out there along with a couple of uh, T-shirts we had designed. The, the book is 10. The shirts are 25. And we have some, some things out there. But most importantly, if you would not mind, before you leave, to grab one of our business cards or one of our connection cards for the sole purpose of praying for us. Because more than anything else, that's what we need is prayer and support as we travel and do what God has called us to do. And um, we believe that we are on the verge of seeing one of the greatest outpourings of the Spirit 
in the church, but we also believe it's not going to look like what we expect. You know, and so I heard a friend say this one time that sometimes the greatest barrier to our dreams are our memories. And so I don't want to miss what it is that God wants to do by assuming that it's going to look like what I've seen before. I want to be open and receptive and say, I want to say, God, come and be God. Even if it goes against my personal preference. And, you know, I was thinking about that leading up to today. And as we travel and we speak, just different things that that God will speak and and, and share. And uh, I would love to be one of those guys that gets to rotate his favorite sermons. And I would be really good at them. But God doesn't let me do that. And so, and I'm okay with that. But as I was thinking about this leading up to today, I just, I just kept thinking about Joseph. And I kept thinking about the story of Joseph. And Joseph was a dreamer. And he saw things. And, and he had an ability to see things that others could not see. He had an insight and an understanding and, 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 and an ability to, to see beyond the here and now because a dreamer is never going to be confined to the present or to the restrictions around them, but a dreamer will often cause some discomfort and friction with the non-dreamers around them. And, and so, but here's the thing, and, and you know, I'm not going to talk about the full story with Joseph. I'm going to zero in on a couple very specific things about his life, but here's the thing I've realized, and I want you to hear this for the dreamers among us. The people who resist your dream the most are the ones who most need it to come to pass. Let that settle for a moment, all right? Joseph's greatest opposition were his brothers, but nobody needed Joseph's dream to come to pass more than his brothers. Right? A dreamer's greatest opposition will come from those who don't even realize how desperately they need the dream to happen. And so there's this resistance, this opposition. And, and you remember Daddy gave Joseph the coat of many colors, and that caused all those problems. A difference. I, I really didn't intend to talk this much about dreamers. I haven't even looked at my notes yet. But a dreamer will see in color while others struggle with black and white. And so there's all of this stuff that was going on. And so Joseph, he had this dream of being mightily used from God and mightily used of God. He was favored. He was placed in a position. But how many of you know the distance from his dream to the reality didn't happen overnight? The Bible says until it came to pass, he was tested by his dream. I don't know why it is that I wish, I'm one of those weird people, I wish that when God spoke something, it would happen immediately. I, don't, I, I didn't think I was alone in that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think I was the only weird one here. <laughs> but I just, I wish that God would speak and it would happen. Boom, boom. But sometimes there's a distance between His promise and His provision. And sometimes the enemy will... Oftentimes, or maybe all the time, the enemy is going to resist and try to put barriers and obstacles in the way until we see the reality. And it's going to be determining whether or not we're willing to hold on to what God has spoken. It's easy to believe what God says in the moment we hear it. But when that word tests us and is challenged, can we still believe and hold steady throughout the entire process? 
When God speaks, it's like, whoa, I'm excited. It's going to happen. And then if I could say it this way, then all hell starts breaking loose. We're like, I don't remember anything God said. But the faithfulness of God is not tied to the circumstances surrounding our lives. The faithfulness of God is tied to what He has spoken. When He speaks it, it will come to pass. And in the process, there are things that He will do in our lives. There are things that He will move. There are things that He will shape. Let me just say it like this. Some of the things that God has spoken to you about, some of the dreams that God has placed in your heart, He has to shape you to prepare to receive them. complete sidebar, but something, you remember when Jesus raised the, raised the son of the widow of Nain? Do you know what he did before he raised the son? He talked to mama. Why? Because she had already prepared her heart to deal with a dead son. If Jesus did not minister to her first, she would not know how to suddenly deal with an alive son. He took a moment to minister to her to prepare her so that when he raised her son, she would be able to receive him back to life. He had to shift her out of a place of death to receive life he was about to bring into her family. There are things that God has spoken into your life. There are things that God has released into your life. And he's prepping and moving and and working in your life to prepare you so that when they come to pass, they will not destroy you. One of the most dangerous things, this is, (laughs) one of the most dangerous things that can happen in the life of a ministry, in the life of a church, in the life of a believer, is for a dream to come to pass too soon. But at just the right time, God knows how to do it. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. His timing is perfect. There are things that I am seeing God do in my life that He spoke to me about years ago, and I'm thankful now that they didn't happen years ago when I was a fool. You can't say that. Well, I didn't say it about you, so it's okay. Some of the things that God's doing in my life now, had He done them before, my immaturity would have thought it was more about me than about Him. So Joseph, he was a dreamer, and he kept finding God elevate and put down, elevate and put down. Think about this. He was favored by his father and hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit that was more narrow at the mouth than at the bottom, meaning he couldn't get out of it on his own. So then he was pulled out, sold into slavery by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. And they represented the flesh. The non-dreamers will always love to put fleshly restrictions on the dreamers. So then he was sold into Egyptian slavery. Because if the enemy can enslave a dreamer, perhaps he can prevent the dream from coming true. But the promise of God is not tied to conditions. The promise of God is tied to him. And he is unconditional. Joseph found himself brought into leadership time and again, but facing countless accusations and attempts by the enemy to steal his dreams. But neither the pit nor the prison was the place Joseph was headed. 
But without the pit and prison, he wouldn't have been prepared for the palace. That's a lot of peas, isn't it? It's almost a tongue twister. I was surprised I said it that well. I will not try it again. He was a dreamer and he paid for it early on. But he was rewarded because he was willing to stand the test. Do we hold on to what the Lord has spoken? Or do we give up on them through circumstance? And when God brings us through our lives to the place he is ultimately taking us, he has a way of reminding us where we have come from and where we are going. And I think about Joseph and everything he went through. And it would have been real easy for him to give up many times along the way. And I want to speak to your heart this morning. And, and I want to stir in your heart an encouraging word in your heart. And, and I want you to hear these words. This is deep theological insight. Don't give up. I meet too many people that stop just short of their breakthrough. Don't let that be your story. Press in. Press on. Surrender all. And allow God to bring to pass what it is that He is doing. But here's the challenge sometimes that comes with that. Well, Brother Rodney, you know, God spoke to me years ago or months ago, and, but in the process, I've just made all these mistakes. And I think I've probably blown it. But let me remind you, God gives second chances. Let me remind you, God gives 415th chances. Let me remind you, God gives 37,247 chances. Hallelujah. <laughs> How many of you are thankful that he doesn't run out of mercy? His mercy are new every morning, every, every afternoon, every evening. <laughs> I stand as a product of His mercy being renewed, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I blew it. <laughs> Anybody ever blown it? Well, He's bigger than all of that. Let me go with it. Some of you are like, well, this guy hasn't even read Scripture yet. I don't think he's preaching. Well, all right, then. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. I want to talk just a few moments this morning about what was birthed in Joseph in the process. What was birthed in him in the process. <clears throat> Reading together there in Genesis 41:50, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years a famine came. Stop just for a moment. Those words, before the years of famine came, those hit me during worship. Because famine, the season of famine, was when Joseph really shined. Right? It's like, whoa, this guy heard from God. This guy knew what was happening. He was elevated to a high position. And during the season of famine, other than Pharaoh, nobody was more powerful in all the world than Joseph. And so he's... <laughs> Exalted and raised. But even before that, because I want you to let this sink in your spirit today. Even before you reach the point where it feels like you're shining, God's going to give you things. He had two sons even before he began to shine. 
God deposited and God birthed things through him. Some of you are thinking, man, one of these days, once everything comes in line, I can really start doing good things for God. But let me tell you something. God's not waiting for everything to come in line. God's ready to start doing things in you and through you now. Two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of on board him, verse 51 says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Verse 52. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. Everybody say Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So what happens is in the process of time, God gives Joseph two boys. Manasseh, meaning God's caused me to forget my past and all my toil. And Ephraim, meaning God's made me fruitful in the land of my suffering or the land of my affliction. And I want to talk to you about that for just a few moments this morning because some of you as dreamers and some of you as hearing from God and some of you as holding on to the promises of God, you feel like maybe you've messed something up along the way. But I want to tell you this morning, the first thing God birthed for Joseph was a son named Manasseh, meaning God has caused me to forget my toil, my struggle. Trace it out, it even means God has caused me to forget my past. In other words, God has given me a fresh slate. God has given me a new start. Joseph had been through a lot of trouble. He had been through a lot of problems. He had found himself in positions and in places he had not anticipated or imagined. His past was checkered with things he would like to forget. Things he wished he had not gone through. But through all of it, God was orchestrating and establishing his plan. Yes. And what, I want you to think about it like this. Every time Joseph said Manasseh, it was a reminder to him that God had given him a fresh start. And I want to remind you this morning here in Cape, I want to remind you, Christ Church, I want you to understand that God has given us a fresh slate and a fresh start because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. And the enemy would love to tell you you're stuck in your yesterday, you're stuck in your past, but I want you to know something. When he reminds you of the past, we need to be thankful that he's reminding you of the grace of God. And what God has brought you out of. And let me just say it this way. Because I get a little agitated when I start talking about this stuff. And, and I don't want to kill any sacred cows. But I have found sacred cows make the best hamburgers. They really do. We've said things like this for years. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You are a sinner before the grace. Now sinner doesn't define you, son does. So please, please, please drop that statement from your vocabulary. I was a sinner until I met the grace of God. Now I am a son walking in grace. Sinner no longer defines me. Sinner no longer has a hold on me. I don't live there anymore. That was my past. That's who I used to be. And I don't give the enemy place in, that in my life any longer. God has caused me to forget. And he's erased it. He's given me a new start with Manasseh. Everything that I thought may have had an opportunity to steal my dreams, God says, 
Nope, I've erased it all. I've forgotten. And I, all, I look at, all I know when I see you is what my son has done and what my word has promised you and what I'm going to do in and through your life. Manasseh has been birthed. Manasseh has been released. And we have been made new. So even before the famine, Manasseh was a reminder to Joseph that God had erased his past and given him a fresh start. He was no longer in the pit. He was no longer in the prison. In Christ, Manasseh has been birthed in us, reminding us that God has erased our past, given us a brand new start. The enemy will always come to try to remind us or trap us and bring back our past. Trying to get you back into the pit. Because he knows when you're in the pit, you can't get out. And you can't find your way to the palace. But let me tell you something. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And the enemy has no right to put us anywhere else. When the enemy attacks with our past... We can be reminded, because listen, here's a simple reminder. Jesus said it like this in John 8. When the enemy speaks, he speaks his native language. Did you know that? And his native language is lies. There will be one time in Satan's history when he speaks truth, and that will be when he bows his knee and says, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. Until then, everything he says is a lie. So when he comes to you and he tells you that you are a loser, thank him that you are victorious. We have to learn to thank. You're like, I can't thank the devil. No, no, I'm not saying to worship the devil. Don't, don't misunderstand or misconstrue what I'm saying. But instead of allowing his words to penetrate our hearts and get in our spirits and cause us to, oh, I guess he's right. No, no. Begin to thank God that everything the enemy says, the exact opposite is true. You're going to, when the enemy comes and he says you're going to die, he goes, no, no, thank you, Lord, that I will live and not die. When the enemy comes and says you're going to go broke, you're going to go, you know, and you're, you're going to be in foreclosure, you're going to, no, thank you, Lord, that you are, I'm blessed and highly favored, and I will prosper like we declare during the offering. When the enemy reminds me of my past, I just remind him that I'm saved, I'm set free, I'm delivered, and I'm on my way to an eternity that he can't join me. He's just mad because we get what he gave up. <laughs> when reminded of our past, it's a great time to rejoice in God's grace. But how many of you know we cannot pursue our future if we're tied to our past? I decided a long time ago, instead of allowing my past to be an anchor, it's just going to be a springboard. I can't go back and change what has happened to me, but I can know that God causes all things to work together for my good. Even those bad decisions. Anybody ever made a bad decision? Like four of us? Everybody else is perfect. I get that. That's awesome. Trade me places. <laughs> but our bad decisions don't change who God is. Manasseh. God enabled Joseph to forget what he had faced, to forget the hurt that had been caused to him by those in his life. To the point to where when he was reunited with his brothers, it would have been real easy for Joseph to say, now I get what I want, you're going to die. But he chose forgiveness. 
Because we do not have to walk in bitterness. We can choose to allow others freedom. Manasseh was God's way of erasing the hurt, the pain, and even the memory of what had happened. And of who could have been held responsible. Before I move on and talk about Ephraim, let me say this. One of the most fascinating things that we've watched happen, Pastor, over the last three or four years, I guess, now in ministry is this. Is God is healing memories. If that makes any sense at all. Because here's, here's the reality that, I, that I've I heard somebody say this. I think it might have been Pastor Kilpatrick. I don't remember. But we do not live with the events that happen to us. We live with the memory of those events. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to remember wrong. Or to remember from his perspective. And for us to be trapped in a memory that keeps us bound up in hurt and pain. When you might say, well, Rodney, you have no idea what happened to me. I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm not trying to belittle it. I'm not trying to make light of it. But I'm just saying the enemy loves to trap us in his version of what took place. And what we're watching God do that is fascinating is he's, he's helping people to see from his perspective what was going on. He's helping people to learn to remember that even through the pain, even through the difficulty, even through the problems and the challenges that took place, the faithfulness of God never stopped. And here's one of the, a verse, a scripture in Corinthians that keeps rolling over and over in my spirit for the last several years is he's the God of all comfort. And he comforts us in all of our affliction so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we ourselves have received. And so Manasseh represents, not, not only did God erase Joseph's past, but he gave Joseph the ability to forgive those that caused some of his past to happen to him. Men, there's some healing in that. The second son that was born, his name was Ephraim. And his name means God has made me fruitful. In fact, if you look, trace it out, you can find it actually means double fruit. Ephraim, but hear me, Ephraim could not have been born without Manasseh being born first. Meaning, some people are trying to be fruitful, but they're too stuck in their past. If we're not able to get away from where the enemy has trapped us, to get away from who we used to be. <laughs> I meet people that are working desperately hard in ministry to be fruitful in ministry, to be fruitful in the church, but they can't shake off who they used to be or who others assume they still are. And so if Manasseh is not birthed first, there's no room for, for Ephraim to come. There's no room for fruitfulness to happen because if we're tied to who the world... If I'm tied to who the world tried to make me, I can't walk in the identity that he has given me. Here, here, what, here's what I want you to understand. I, I'm on a personal journey in a study, and, and I'm trying my best to stay on track. I really am. And, and I'm on a personal journey and a personal study over the last several months about identity and sonship and what that looks like. And, and, and I'm like blown away. And it's, I keep telling people, I wish I had known this years ago. 
Because we often don't fully understand who we are in him. And we often fail to realize who he has made us to be. And here's what, the, here's what I've come to understand. The world at best can describe you, but only your father can define you. Description and definition are a world's different. The world loves to describe, well, you're just this. You're just that. You're just this. For example, if I take one of these chairs, which is currently blue, and I paint it green, I change the description but not the definition. It's still a chair, right? The world has tried to paint us. The world has tried to reshape us to describe us, but it cannot change the definition of who he has made us to be. And there are too many people that are walking according to the world's description instead of according to the Father's definition. And we need Manasseh to be birthed in our lives so that we'll let go of the way the world has been describing us for years and we'll start walking in our definition that says, I am a son of God. <clears throat> <laughs> Quickly, can I, can I take just, good. am I good? good? Don't tell me that. I get excited. This, this stuff's burning in my spirit. I'm going to do my best to stay on point and stay on track. Okay, Jesus, he's baptized, remember? The father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, right? Yes. And it messed me up because Jesus had not done anything yet to earn the pleasure of the father. No preaching, no disciples, no miracles. No ministry. Father was just pleased simply because of identity, not activity. Right? And the world says, you do enough, you learn the pleasure. And we live on the merit system in the church. Because right after he's baptized, he goes in the wilderness to be tempted. What's the very, very first thing Satan says? If you really are the son of God, prove it by turning this stone into bread. But Jesus says, man will not live on bread alone. In other words, I'm not going to live my life based on what I can perform, based on what I can do, but I'm going to live my life based on what my Father says. He says I'm His Son. He says I'm pleased with Him. That's all I need to know. I don't need to prove it to you. I don't need to prove it to anybody else because He has spoken it. That's enough. Now, now, this, that's in Matthew 4. Matthew 3 and 4. Now, in Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain of transfiguration. Remember the story? They're up there. He's unzipped and unveiled before them. And the Father says, this is my Son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. And I thought, wait a minute. The declaration of the Father didn't change even after the ministry of Jesus increased. He wasn't suddenly more pleased. And I got to realizing, huh. The Father's pleasure isn't tied to my activity. It's tied to my identity. And I, I, I realized, my Lord, I've spent so much time in ministry. One of these days he's going to love me. Nobody else here has ever thought that. I understand, but indulge me for like a minute. And we try and we seek to earn. And the world says, if he, if he really loves you, then prove it. If you're really his, then prove it. And, and, and describe. And it's like, oh, well, you know, he's this or he's that. And No, we just live in his, in his, in his pleasure. Yes. 
and in his favor. And if we want, and, and you know what that represents? That represents Ephraim, the fruitfulness and the blessing of God. You know what God asked me one time? It messed me up. He says, Rodney, why do you make it so hard for me to bless you? I was like, I didn't know I did. <laughs> He's like, you, he, he told me, he says, you need to quit acting like you don't deserve my blessing. You're my son. That's all I need. And that messed me up in a good way. But there are many people, they want to walk in the blessing and the favor of God. But until Manasseh is birthed and paves the way and erases all of that, all of that misunderstanding and, and, and wrong ideologies and all those things that the world has placed on us, all those things that the, the church has placed on us. We teach, our, we teach Wednesday night Bible study at our church. I've been Assembly of God for years, and I said this, and you've, you've got Assembly of God friends, so don't tell them I said this. But I said, sometimes we make it harder to be assembly of God than God makes it to be sons of God. It's true. I mean, it's just like, huh, because oh, we got our list of what we can't do. None of that's here in my notes. <laughs> but here's what I've learned. If God can save me, he can keep me. And if he can keep me, he can bless me. And if I want to live in Ephraim's season, then I need to let Manasseh be born and erase all of the past, erase all of the junk, renew my mind. I'm finding as much as I need to learn, I need to unlearn just as much. As Joseph was in pursuit of his dream of God's promise, he encountered affliction and suffering that tried to get him off course. But God was faithful to cause him to be fruitful in the midst of it all. Because what the enemy intends for evil, God will turn it for good. So God birthed Manasseh. I'm erasing your past. I'm causing you to forget. I would love to get to the place where the enemy comes and tries to remind me of something, and all I can say in all honesty is, I'm sorry, I just don't remember that. I just don't remember, because God has caused me to forget. He's cast it as far as the east is from the west, not just in his spirit, but in mine too. Because I have the mind of Christ. And then after Manasseh was born, then comes Ephraim. So every time, Ephraim means God has made me fruitful. God has blessed me. God has worked in my life. Now, let me, let me tie it all together like this. You remember after the famine, when all that's going on in Israel and, and all of his brothers come back and they're in Egypt with them. And Israel calls Joseph in and he comes in to see him and he brings his boys. He's got Manasseh and Ephraim with him. And he brings them in, and Joseph says to Dad, he goes, Dad, are you good? And he's, the Bible says his eyes had grown dim. And he was toward the end of his life. And he says, who are these? He goes, these are my sons. And, and, and Israel's like, man, I didn't even know I'd see you, let alone your children. And so Manasseh and Ephraim are there, and Joseph says, would you bless my boys? Because there was a cultural understanding of, of the priestly, of the patriarchal blessing that was bestowed upon the sons, and, and it was a huge deal. 
different topic, different message for a different day, but we need to be blessing our family and not cursing them. And so Manasseh and Ephraim are there. And as a left-handed guy, I'm a little offended that everything was right-handed slanted. I'm just kidding. But in that culture, if there were going to be a blessing placed upon two at, at the same time, the right hand would be put on the older or the firstborn or the one that would be double blessed. And then the left hand on the second, just in a way of doing things. You know, so Jesus seated at the right hand of God. I mean, you could, anyways. So he brings his boys there to where when Israel would, would bless, he would put his right hand on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim. But what happens is Jacob or Israel, he does something that nobody saw coming. And this is found in, in chapter 48 of Genesis, but I'm just going to walk through it instead of reading through it just, just for the sake of time so we can get to the altar time is when he brings his boys there, when, when Israel reaches out to bless us, he crosses his hands. And he put his right hand on Ephraim. And he put his left hand on Manasseh. And he began to release a blessing, and Joseph says, no, Dad, this is not appropriate. Because Joseph thought, this can't be right. We have to do this the right way. But Israel says, no, no, this is right. I'm doing what's necessary. I'm not saying Manasseh won't be blessed, but Ephraim is going to be blessed above him. In other words, <laughs> the blessing of God in your life is going to be greater than the destruction of the enemy in your life. Your favor, your future, your blessing in God is going to be greater and more, more blessed than the past that you walk through and live through to get to that place. And God's looking to doubly bless. Because everything the enemy meant for evil, everything he thought he could do to destroy you, God says not only will it not destroy you, but it's going to make you stronger. And I'm going to help you live as a reminder that the enemy, not only was he unable to destroy you, but he set you up for favor. Some of you don't realize this, and the enemy may not even see this coming, but the enemy's been trying to take you out. He's been trying to destroy you, but what he's doing, he's setting you up for favor. And so Israel, he crossed his hands, and he blessed Ephraim above Manasseh. And he said, not only, not only have I erased your past, not only have I taken away the affliction, not only have I taken away the toil, not only have I taken away the trouble, but the blessing that's coming on your life is going to be so great, it's going to make all the troubles and all the struggles to get there pale in comparison. Why? Because that's who our Father is. Saul of Tarsus, man, he was radical for the enemy. And then he was radical for Jesus, even more so. And I just want to declare to you in this house, 
I guess someone on the keys, don't worry, it will not be me. That would really be bad. (laughs) I just want to declare to you in this house that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in you. And God's blessing in favor. If you do not quit... If you do not back down, if you do not back up, if you do not give in, if you do not faint in the day of adversity, God's going to bring you out stronger and greater and more blessed on the other side. I don't... The only way I know to say it is this. I don't care how cursed your past was. I want you to know how blessed your present and future is. And you know what the enemy hates? Is we overcome by the word of our testimony. So all those things he tried to use to destroy us, it's part of our victory story. It's part of our victory story. You took what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for my good. I don't know how you did it, God, but it's so awesome. I, I thought I was going to be trapped there forever. I thought I was going down. I thought it was over. I think my two favorite words in the Bible are, but God. It seemed like this. It seemed like that. But God. But God. Can you stand to your feet in this house? Before I get excited and start over Bless you, Lord. Come on, you can you just begin to lift your voice to Him? Lift your heart to Him. I just want you to receive that this morning. For some of you in this place today, what you need is for God to birth Manasseh because some of you are still trapped in the past. Some of you are still trapped in, 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 in discouragement and pain and uncertainty and, and sin and bondage and those things. And, and you feel like there's no way out. But God is able to birth Manasseh in your life today and give you a fresh start. So today he might be in this place and, and, you know, and you're like, man, I've been struggling. I've been working through and I've been trying to overcome it in my own strength. But let me tell you, you can't overcome it in your own strength. But also at the same time, you know what I've learned? I don't have to overcome it in my own strength because Jesus has already won in his strength. So as I submit to him and I surrender to him, his victory becomes mine. And that's the beauty of Manasseh. God has caused me to forget. Or maybe for some of you here today, you need Ephraim birthed. You need to step into a time of fruitfulness, into a time of favor into a time of blessing. And maybe you're like me and you make it difficult for God to bless you. I just want to release that today and say, quit. Quit. That's pretty deep right there. Quit. Don't ever feel like you have to apologize or be embarrassed by the blessing of the Father. Just walk in it. Just walk in it. 
Because why? Because we're blessed to be a blessing. Father, I thank you. Put your hand upon your heart. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today for life. I thank you today that no good thing do you withhold from those who walk uprightly before you. I thank you today for speaking to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that as we're journeying toward our dream, toward the provision of what you have spoken to our lives, the enemy would love nothing more than, than to distract it or to detour it or to get us off track. But God, I thank you today that he is unable to stop what you have started. And God, I thank you that you're able to perform your word. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this house. I thank you for your love for us.